Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In peace, there's nothing so becomes a man as modest stillness and humility. But when the blast of war blows in our ears, then imitate the action of the tiger. Welcome to Heavenly Shows and Unnecessary Letters, a podcast where we watch and then talk about a production of every single play written by William Ryan Shakespeare, who needs no introduction. But we do. So I'm Tammy Sarah Lindy. And I'm Luke O'Hagan. This week on Heavenly Shows and Unnecessary Letters, Edward III, directed by Donna Northcott for the St. Louis Shakespeare in 2009 and written circa 1596 by William Shakespeare. Among others. See, some people don't think Shakespeare wrote Shakespeare, and as a podcast, our official position on that is... It's without question, however, that some Shakespeare plays weren't written by him or him alone, and that throughout history, some plays that weren't considered to be written by him were. The latest addition to the canon is Edward III, a work considered canonical and non-canonical on and off since the late 18th century, and through modern computer text analysis in the early 2000s, is now believed to contain about 40% text written by Shakespeare. The only recording of the play that we could find was recorded by St. Louis Shakespeare, a small professional company out of Missouri in the United States, recorded with a single camera in the very best low-definition video that 2009 had to offer. But we made a commitment to watch the complete works, So we got out our copies of the script and got to business. And now, for the sake of brevity, a synopsis of Edward III in one tweet. If there's one thing I hate more than the French, it's the Scots. And if there's one thing I hate more than the Scots, it's the husband of this one lady that I have a thing for. And if there's one thing I hate more than him, it's my son, the Black Prince. Wait, no. He's a hero. Yes. What did you think of Edward III by St. Louis Shakespeare? My first thing going into it was I was really curious to see if I could tell the bits written by Shakespeare and the bits not written by Shakespeare. Because, you know, we're, we're six plays in now and I've got some experience behind that. And you kind of, Shakespeare definitely has a voice, a, a voice often imitated, right? Mm. So I was like really curious, can you tell just by existing in the world which parts are Shakespeare and which parts aren't. And the answer to that is absolutely 100% because the rest of the play is not very good. Well, just not written very well. There's there's definitely a, a difference there. And as we were watching, it appears that Shakespeare wrote much less of the first act than he did the, the, the first half of the play than he did the second half of the play. And 
I'm sort of watching this and I'm saying, oh, this is a real slog to get through. I can see why this one isn't really well performed. And it gets to a point where um, a French mariner is giving a report to the French king about the English coming across. And all of a sudden it's written by Shakespeare. All of a sudden it's great. All of a sudden it's filled with this amazing rhetoric. And it's like, oh, okay, there it is. This, this is what we sat, sat down to watch. And I, I was really uh, not surprised by that per se, but certainly delighted that it was going to be more than just what the first 20, 25 minutes of the play seemed for it to be. Yeah, I'd agree with that. As much as it was fun to try and spot where Shakespeare shone yes. in this, for me, it was definitely a show that we watched. <laughs> so there's there's two definite different things we're talking about here. And I think there is kind of whenever we do one of these reviews in that there's what's the quality of Edward III and what's the quality of St. Louis Shakespeare doing Edward III, right? Yeah. And... Um, a great example of that was when we watched King John. King John itself, maybe not the best play in the world, but the Stratford Festival in Canada doing King John, really excellent job. Right? Yeah, um, I think singers can outsing their songs, and it doesn't happen very often in Shakespeare, no. but it, it does happen. In this, I think uh, Edward III is patchy, as I said. Mm. The performance of St. Louis Shakespeare was perhaps weak. I would say it was a struggle, yeah. Yeah, uh, for for a number of reasons. And while we're still talking about the adaptation, they made a choice. Every every Shakespeare play makes a choice. Every production makes a choice to edit, to cut, as we've spoken about many, many times on this podcast before. Um, very rarely do people present the full unabridged of any work. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, it's so rare as to... I'd really kind of like to see it. It'd be strange uh i've read some of these shakespeare plays you really don't <laughs> it's not necessary it's uh you know when they take out the 16th century or the or the 17th century uh pop culture references that well we yeah like no, the places no where they update things um and update slight wor wordings of jokes that we definitely wouldn't get now because it's not contemporary anymore but also um there are certain sections where it is an extemporaneous retelling of yeah. the scene we've just watched. Yeah. Right. And that was because of the unique circumstance of when these plays were being performed, that people did sort of come in and out and everything like that. It's like your daily soap, right? Like yeah, you yeah. watch, you know, days of our lives. They often have that recap at the beginning of each show of what happened last week. And so they have that periodically throughout most Shakespeare plays. And that's what most people cut when they are adapting it for the modern stage. Do people still watch Days of Our Lives? Is that still a thing? I think so. Wow. Anyway, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. And so taking that stuff out is a no-brainer. Yeah. What is possibly a bad approach is to, every time there is a monologue, just cut the middle third out of it. Arbitrarily. Just arbitrarily. No matter if it's important, no matter if it's, you know, rhetorically beautiful, Nothing, just, you know, we're just going to cut everything down. And also the first two lines of every speech, <laughs> yeah, well, arbitrarily, the it, first two lines of every speech, just ab cut. Absolutely. It, it's very strange. And th so there are two core problems here with this adaptation here. And 
The first one are these cuts, which seem to me to be intentional cuts. The seem to be it seems to me to be that the adapter or the director has made the decision to, well, these monologues are just way too long, and we're going to cut them down. Mm -hmm. Which is fine. I just have a disagreement with the way she went about cutting them down. Yep. The other issue that I had with the adaptation when we're talking about cuts is the, I'm going to call them informal cuts. <laughs> and look, we're both actors. I'm sure there are actors listening to this. God forbid anyone ever watches what I do while reading the script. Yeah. And noting what I paraphrase and get wrong, right? Like, God forbid, like, uh, and this, I'm not, this is why I'm not sort of, I'm I'm couching this in a great deal of ooze. Yes, ooze. <laughs> but the actor who played Edward the Third, the lead role, possibly did not treat the text with the reverence it was due. I don't know if that's uh, that's probably not the best way to put it. No, well, I mean, I would I would hazard a guess that the the actor playing Edward the Third probably is a, an actor who is at a point in his life where memory is starting to become an issue. He's not that old. I know, but like some people can have that problem earlier in life than other people. I'm not talking about like age related memory loss. Right. Uh, like he might be a footballer and has had a, a lot of, you know, head trauma. Who knows? Well, it'll explain the screaming too. It would explain the screaming. <laughs> we'll get onto that so later. So angry. But certainly, because I, I don't want to just assume that he doesn't have reverence for the text, right? Yeah. But and that, certainly... was, that, was, that was wrong. That was wrong. Like, that was not the words I was reaching for. No, I know that. But I I think that it's it's definitely a conversation you have to have when casting a show, specifically in Shakespeare. Because, I mean, I've worked with people both as a director and as an actor where you have colleagues that find it harder to retain the exact wording that is in a script than other people. And I think that, you know, in, a, in modern text, it's fine to improv, paraphrase, as long as it's not impacting your other, uh, you know, players in the scene that you're working with. I think... So, sometimes it's better. Sometimes it is better. Yeah. <laughs> um, depending on the script you're working with. But like you know, I understand that in modern in modern context and modern scripts, that it doesn't really matter. I mean, it does, but it doesn't. There are there are certain places where it doesn't quite matter if he switched this sentence with that sentence in the middle of a four sentence paragraph. Right. Right. If the actor switches the two middle sentences, that doesn't really. No one notices. It doesn't impact all of those things. However, when you're doing Shakespeare. All of a sudden, you go, huh? I mean, it wasn't as obvious. I have to say, it wasn't as obvious in Edward III because of the fact that there are sections that just don't sound like Shakespeare at all. Right, yeah. So in that sense, you know, if we weren't following the script, he may have gotten away with it. But I myself, having performed Shakespeare, know that in the moments where... um. Like I know uh, when I was performing The Winter's Tale, I I blanked. I blanked on a line and I was meant to say to my scene partner, um, 
something about going away to a festival and getting into disguise. And it was a critical, it wasn't something we could just gloss over and skip over and yeah, it was the end it, of the it, scene, it, right? It was yeah. the end of a scene and it was a critical plot point of, hey, we're about to go get into costume so that the audience would recognize who we were in the next scene. And I completely blanked. And I just, I remember staring at my scene partner with fear in my eyes going, help save me. And she responded with, why don't we go disguise ourselves? And I went, yes, let's. And we ran off stage. And look, I love a save. I love a save as much as the next person. It's my favorite thing to see on on stage. Uh, but that's not really what this was. No, it's not what this was. <laughs> it was like that the whole way through the show. I just, I, I know what it's like to be the other people in the scenes with that dude. Yeah. You know, to, to, to be the person who's trying to go cue to cue yep. and sort of get your stuff right. And this person just isn't, it's not that he's bad necessarily right it's not that it's not that it's a bad approach but when it's so different to the way that you're working yeah it's difficult to make that mesh right yeah um but that doesn't reflect that that's sort of separate to his acting right yeah and just moving on to his acting wow it was look edward the third is the King of England, and not like King John, right? He's uh, a relatively well-supported King of England. Not by the Scots, but who's supported by the Scots? <laughs> and he, this guy was so angry all the time. It was definitely a state of being. He, there, was no, there was no nuance in his performance at all. It was it was very one note. It was very shouty. Shouty. Um, it was a challenge. It was a challenge. And like I'm a fairly loud deliverer of lines. But we're not talking about. But we're not. It's volume. not that. It's about intent, right? Yeah. It, it was the intent. It was the attack at the words he was saying. Like when we talk about shouty, I mean. It's not about volume. You can still be shouty and be very quiet. We're not talking about volume. We're talking about the delivery of the text. And, I mean, probably because this is a a relatively sort of minor work by a minor company, um, there's a contrast there because a lot of the other actors are not giving it enough energy, I feel. There's a lot of, like... I don't know how you'd describe it. There's a lot of just, just sort of low energy on stage. No, there's a few characters. There, there are a few actors who didn't approach that. There's a few actors who I feel like got the balance right. Yeah, there is a lot of dropping the ball throughout this. There is hmm. a lot of issues with pacing and with rhythm and with flow. There's a lot of issues with the cast at large not feeling connected to the text, not feeling connected to what they're saying. Now, obviously, well, we it's have... Diffi- it's difficult to feel connected to the text when you're cutting out half the monologues. Well, this is what I'm saying, yeah. right? Like, there there are sections that are cut completely, and it just it makes it so much more difficult to process what the point of what you're saying is. Yes. However, to say that, and to say that there were characters who were as you've written in the notes here, wet fish. <laughs> There's King Edward, who is, I don't know, 
uh, rotten marlin, just massive and well, just existing Ed, in the world. Edward was a cardboard cutout. I know that's no, a no, really horrible. No, thing I'm to sorry. Say, he wasn't. But... I disagree with that completely. He wasn't a cardboard cutout. He was way more offensive than a cardboard cutout. He's very wooden. He was wooden, but he it was like a you know he was a wooden cutout on fire. He that was. Explains the shouting. He drew all this energy <laughs> to himself, and then he wasn't worth watching. No. That being yeah. said, I want to shout out some specific actors. The actors playing um, the Black Prince, Prince Edward. Uh, in the second half of the show, a lot of the show is on him. Yeah. And I feel like he, if not really killed it, definitely mediated the energy a lot better than some of his colleagues. Yeah. And in scenes, in long scenes that he has to carry, he did pick it up and he did put it down. And yeah. you've got to have respect for that in a environment that's less than ideal. Yeah. Right? Uh, a couple of the servants were quite good. Mm. I have written down here Lodewick. He was actually really great. He he kind of gave me hope that it wasn't going to be a slog the whole way through when he first started talking in Act 1. Well, I mean, anyone who's gone and seen like a, a minor professional company or an amateur company um, do any show, you see these actors who are clearly character actors yeah. who kill it in minor roles. And, and this guy really, really did that. Yeah. Um, and and good for him, and also uh, the countess. Um, so there's there's two halves to this play. Um, the first half is a lot of Edward the Third and his domestic problems at home, mm-hmm. and the second half is his foreign problems with France. Yeah. And so Edward the Third falls in love with this countess. Yeah. And the actor who played the countess, I feel, really got light and shade. Right. Yeah. Because she, you know, she is a woman. Who is married, but she's being approached by her king. Right? Yeah, and there is a level of there's a level of internal conflict there. Yeah, that I feel like she really cranked on and brought to life. It seemed like it was a bit of work for her to get there. It wasn't effortless. It wasn't effortless, and there was certainly so much further it could have been taken. But I understand the problem of working against the Edward III actor and possibly that was the hindrance, but also possibly that was, that was all she had to give. I don't know, but there was certainly more she could have done to make it clearer um, in certain aspects. I mean, I'm talking, um, I'm recalling the the scene where she comes out and says to the King, look, if you, if you want to have sex with me, then to if the only way I'm going to feel comfortable about cheating on my husband in this way, you're going to have to kill your queen and my husband. And the king goes, okay. And then she's meant to be horrified at the fact she was like, oh, he called my bluff. And I just didn't, I didn't feel that there was no real aside to the audience to share that horror. Well, Normally when we watch these plays, I read the script, Tammy doesn't. Yeah. Um, for this one, because neither of us were familiar with it and because the audio quality of the video was so bad, we both read the script as we were watching the play. Yeah. Um, so we know I... that there was meant to be an aside there. There was meant to be a moment where the where when the when the king says, you know, yes, I'll kill I'll kill my my wife and your husband. Yeah. There's meant to be a moment where she realizes that, oh, this is I'm in way over my head here. Um, now it, I that just, was cut. Well, it wasn't cut. The text was still spoken. 
it just wasn't directed to the audience in any way, shape, or form. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And that's and that and this is what I come back to of the way that they've adapted this text seems to be very arbitrary. And there were there were almost there were basically no asides to the audience throughout the whole play. Yeah. Um, in the way that we consider what a side should be. Yeah. And I think that was, I think that ultimately is a directorial problem more than anything else. Well, I think a lot, a lot of, a lot of the Shakespeare we've watched so far hasn't had the asides, but they've directed it in such a way that we get that information other ways. Yeah. But I, I just want to come back to the reason why Luke follows the text and I don't is so that we do have a semi-balanced of course, review yeah. of it because of the fact that when you do follow the text, you do obviously spot more things. And it's probably it's probably we has really informed this review so far, right? Yeah. We've talked a lot about how the cuts to the text have been bad, and that's probably been really informed by the fact that we both was were hyper aware of it. Yeah, but normally what would happen is like when we did As You Like It, there were sections where I was confused by what was happening because it's not clear. It's not made clear. And then you would f sort of fill me in because you were following the text and you had a li little bit more information than I did. Yeah. And so that's kind of how we can gather whether the cuts are actually any good or not because you're aware of what cuts they have made and I'm not. Yeah. Whereas in this, and I think that's probably a good way to keep going because in this, when I was aware of the cuts as I was watching the play, I was getting very, <laughs> very angry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's just, there's a lot of, beautiful language oh that went. so like, much I, d I don't think you can be a fan of Shakespeare whether or not you're a literary fan of Shakespeare or you're a theatrical fan of Shakespeare I don't think you can be a fan of Shakespeare and not be a fan of, of language of the use of language you know to quote Jed Butler from the West Wing you know words when used with rhythm and meter and everything else are music and the musicality of this script was just stripped right out of it. Yep. And it made, it made getting through big chunks of this play a slog. Yeah. The first moment where I was like, Oh, this is actually maybe a play that is worth something was the scene we're talking about with the countess and King Edward and King Edward agreeing to kill his wife and her husband hmm. because it was the first real moment of drama in the play, like yeah. real drama. Like, like I, when I saw, when I saw that scene, I'm like, I want to see this done with a better adaptation and better actors. And yeah, I think you could really make this play about Edward being a villain. Cause that's yeah. kind of the through line. It's the two halves are very fractured, mm. but the through line, you know, it's a bio biographical play. The through line is this, the character of Edward the third. Yeah. And he is a villain. He's not a good guy. No. So at the beginning he offers to kill the wife of the countess in order to just get his rocks off. Mm. You know, he leaves his son to die. You know, he, he says to his son, he, he gives him an armor, gives him a weapon and says, if you go out and you prove yourself on the field of battle, I'll knight you and then you'll be a knight. And he sends him out and people come back to him and say, hey, your son's in trouble. We need to go save him. And he says, no, no, he'll either save himself or I have other sons. Yeah. That's a villainous character. Yeah. And I think that's a, that, that'd be such a gift to play as an actor. Yeah. And there are so many characters in this that I feel like would be a gift to play as an actor. Yeah. But through a combination of the 
limited skills of the actors involved and the limited deftness with which the script is handled, mm. you know, these characters that have big arcs and big personalities and big characters just aren't handled well. No. I don't think that Edward III was intended to be a villain in this piece, like when it was written by Shakespeare. I don't think it matters. I, I don't, and this is what I'm saying. I, I don't think it matters at all. It's a different... I think in today's day and age, a man abandoning his son to be killed because he has other heirs is going to automatically be villainous, so lean into that. Yeah. But what it does do, it gives the audience, gives us as a watching audience... A sense, a real sense of of sympathy for the Black Prince, hmm. and that informs the second half. Yeah. In general, big picture, second half of this play much better than the first half of this play. Yeah, I agree. We so they split it into two acts. It's obviously it's Shakespeare play. It's in five acts, but they split it in half. And coming back to the second act, we took a break. Coming back to the second act was a much more bearable experience. For yeah. Me. A lot less Edward the Third. It's basically yeah. about the Black Prince. Yeah. So normally at this point in the review, we kind of go over our nitpicks and hot takes of things that we don't like because we like to be <laughs> pretty positive about these things. But uh, this has been a review of nitpicks uh, and hot nitpicks takes. and hot takes. <laughs> so is there anything you haven't mentioned yet that we kind of, or do you want to go back over? We've talked about the cuts. We've talked about that it's been very arbitrary and that it's not well thought through in spite of the fact that we normally advocate for cuts. However, in this play, there is a moment where there is a scene about a man who is dying on the battlefield and he says that he must get back to Edward. And it's a very short scene, but it's there. And it's about three, three paragraph monologue bits interjected yeah. by a servant that's with him. And then in the very next scene, there's Edward III his queen, and they're having this big conversation and the queen basically gets cut from the scene. She's there. She's on stage. She has one of her sections of dialogue and the rest of it is cut. And then the the dude who we've just watched dying in the previous scene comes in still dying. So my question is, why did you not cut that arbitrary scene and just because we already know he's going to be dying in the next scene. So we didn't need to know. None of the information that he shared in the previous scene was important or plot sensitive or moving the story forward. Also, you could have just taken, summarised what he said in that scene if it was important and put it in the next scene when he arrived and kept the one of the only female characters in this play actually still relevant because the stuff she says is really kind of important. And also, it's her only scene. She's literally in one scene as a yep. character. And the first half of the play, like the big emotional moment, the emotional lodestone of the first half of the play, this moment we're talking about where and where Edward offers to kill his wife, mm-hmm. this is the character. Yeah. Like this is the emotional payoff of that big moment. Yep. And you're just going to cut it out? Yep. You know, because the the moment is where we see the thing is we see Edward, and he's because he wants to get his rock off. He offers to kill this woman, and then this woman comes out, and she's compassionate. Yep. And she's intelligent. Yep. And she has the best stuff to say in the entire show. Yep. She has. She gives. It's full, uh, police academy, right? Like yep. we, we we don't expect it, and then it, she comes out, and she's like, "You know, freeze, sucker!" Huh. Not not literally, but no. you know, it, it's that kind of moment, and it's just taken away. Yeah. 
What a ridiculous, what a ridiculous yeah. cut. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't understand. And it's not like you can't, I don't know if it's that the director didn't trust the actor to do it. No, I think, I think it comes back wholly and solely to the fact that they've looked at the text and gone, oh, there's a lot of talking between the king and queen. We'll just cut half of that. It's not like we're going to save time somewhere. Yeah. That's that's literally how it, it reads to me as how, because that's been consistently the way that they've made cuts in this play is we'll just cut two to the first two lines of every long monologue and we'll gut it and we'll just do top and tails of all the speeches throughout the entire play. Yeah. And that what they've done is they've looked at the king and queen's dialogue together and seen that it's king, queen, king, queen, king, queen for about three or four times and they've gone, oh, that doesn't need to all be there. We'll just take the first lot and cut the rest of it. Yeah. And it just, yeah, it just... Like I said, me reading the text along with the play is a bad idea and I won't be doing it again. Moving on, Luke, I certainly didn't have any favourite quotes or moments from this play, but did you have any? I mean, I did. The monologue of the French Mariner that I mentioned before is Mm. actually really great. It's a great Shakespearean monologue. Mm. It's probably a great option if anyone listening needs to do a Shakespearean monologue or something. Have a look at it because it's... It's full of wonderful imagery that would give you really good, meaty stuff to work on from an acting perspective. Like, if you're going to do the work, there's a lot of work to do there. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of, of quotes there. There's a lot of spleening in this show. Like, yeah. there's, there's some spleening in Shakespeare generally, but I think it's a common refrain referred back to by Edward the Black Prince. He talks about his young spleen, and he says, you know, as uh, as cheerful sounding to my youthful spleen, the tumults of wars increasing broils, you know. There, there's there's a lot of that, and it's it's a bit weird, but mm-hmm. you know, gotta like a spleen. There's a great line at the end from Edward the Black Prince, where he says, "I I hold a tree in France to be too good for the gallows of an English thief," and like all of these, all of these um biographical historical plays are English nationalist plays, right? And whether you like that or don't like that, and I probably don't like that most of the time, it lends itself to very good language, right? And very good choices, and I like that. And the last thing I'm going to talk about is a mixture of a quote and a hot take. Uh, (laughs) So in in the parts of the first half of the play where uh, Edward III is pursuing the Countess. There's a scene where Lodowick is writing a letter for the king to the Countess. And he is kind of uh, looking over Lodowick's shoulder and making criticisms about his work. And it's, you know, it's actually a pretty good scene. I, 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 th- I, think, it's, I think it's pretty good. And one of the things that Lodowick writes basically calls her a chaste maid, right? which is kind of ridiculous because she is a married woman, right? Mm-hmm. And this is something that the king points out. And he says, I'd rather have her chaste than chaste. As, you know, the hom- the homophone thing there. And it's, you know, it's a funny line. I, it's you a know, funny line. I, I like wordplay and it was a funny line. It was one of the few things that actually got an audible laugh from the audience. Yes. In this thing. However, at the end of the play, sorry, at the end of the scene, Lodowick... Turns to the audience. No, it's not even to the audience. It's to the king. Oh, no, yes, it he is He doesn't to the share king, yeah. it with the audience. Yeah. And he says, oh, chased and chased. I get it. And then walks off the stage laughing. That's not written in the script. Nope. That is a director. Yep. Not trusting their audience to get the joke. Yep. And you know what? 
maybe your audience won't get the joke. We've all done comedies where you don't know what's going to land and what's not going to land. And you've got these lines where, you know, when I was doing Shrek, I tried really, really hard to get some of the, get some of the laughs to land. And some of them did and some of them didn't. And yep. it depends on it depends on what kind of audience you have in. It depends on whether or not it's a matinee or an evening show. Yep. Any number of things dictate the laugh, right? Mm -hmm. But you can't just make arbitrary changes to the text because you think that the audience is too stupid to understand the funny wordplay joke. Yep. Just trust the text and trust the audience. We, in fact, when he did it, we both, we paused, we paused the recording and started booing. Yeah, it was just the worst. And I just, I know it's the director. I mm. know for a fact it's just such a... Well, it was clearly a, a directed moment of he's exiting the scene, turns back and goes, oh, chased, I get it. And then leaves and the king, you know, shakes his head. And we both just looked at each other was like, what just happened? No. No. No, stop it. No. Like, it. you never see moments like that in Shakespeare. You never see moments like that in good plays. No, right? you don't. You, you just don't. And it's it's gross and disgusting and boo for explaining the joke. Yeah. None of this. No, we're not having it. Would you watch it again? Uh, this version? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I'd, I'd like to see it adapted better. Yeah. I think there's some good stuff in the play. I, yeah. I do. Um, you know, I, I I think I say that a lot about these plays, but mm -hmm. especially the plays that are kind of Older. maybe maybe and maybe not as well received, right? Yeah. Uh, I think there is good stuff because I think there's good stuff in anything. I, I think no matter if you're a great singer, you can sing any song and find something in it to work with. I think even some of the elements that weren't Shakespeare were quite good, and I think that you can find a through line through this play. And do it well. Mm. But I will never watch St. Louis Shakespeare do this again. No, I definitely couldn't sit through that again. It um, was... It, it, I don't know that I could actually sit through Edward III unless someone did a really good... Someone went through the text and really thoughtfully adapted it. Because, yeah, it, it just... It didn't ring true for me. I think if, if it... Then this is just spitballing here. I think if you kind of took a... um an approach to it of, of combining some of the histories together. And like, instead of having these really long plays, if you had like four or five scenes dedicated to Edward III and sort of took the best stuff out of this play. Yeah, that'd have worked. Or if you were doing a, if you were doing sort of an adapted work. That's um, 90 minutes long or something. It's 90 minutes long yeah. based on Edward, uh, the Black Prince. Um, yeah. You know, there, there's definitely something in that, but. You not, know. not as it currently stands. No. no, not at all. How many spears would you shake at it? Two halves. Because I broke it over my knee. <laughs> In anger. So we, we write down these ratings before we start and going through this process of of delivering this of this this review and talking about this play. My opinion of the play has actually dropped. <laughs> um, originally I had written down here what one point five very, very shouty stars. Mm -hmm. I'm going to reduce that mm. to none. Zero stars. <gasps> Dud. Zero spears. You didn't even come out to fight. No, just, you know, I have to watch this again. Kill me. Oh, no. That's sad. And now, a sonnet that is not Sonnet 18. 
They that have the power to hurt and will do none, that do not do the thing they most do show, who moving others are themselves as stone, unmoved, cold, and to temptation slow. They rightly do inherit heaven's graces and husband nature's riches from expense. They are the lords and owners of their faces, others but stewards of their excellence. The summer's flower is to the summer sweet, though to itself it only live and die. But if that flower with base infection meet, the basest weed outbraves his dignity. For sweetest things turn sourest by their deeds. Lilies that fester smell far worse than weeds. You've been listening to Heavenly Shows and Unnecessary Letters. You can follow us on the socials using HSAUL Podcast, where we will also make our show notes available. Feel free to send us any questions there or send us an email at hsaulpodcast at gmail.com. You can subscribe to Heavenly Shows and Unnecessary Letters on iTunes, Spotify or anywhere good podcasts are available. Next time we'll be watching the 1984 BBC television production of Pericles, Prince of Tyre. This podcast is produced in partnership with That's Not Canon Productions and the music is by me, with editing by both Tammy and myself. Thanks to William Shakespeare, Zane, Daryl, Scott, Janet, Bernadette, David, Emily, Kate, Peter and Jason for your help and mentorship. See you next time. No, no, leave it. Leave it recording because this is, I'm calling you out. What? Because we I don't think we had a blooper from this one, so I'm I'm doing the we're doing the blooper live, everybody. What? I'm calling you out. Why? I'm calling you out because at the beginning of every show, yeah. we have a Shakespearean greeting. Yeah. Right? Uh, we're, we're, this one, it was How Fares Your Grace, and it's been different for everyone, and I yeah. just want to make sure it's different for everyone. But this is an intervention. What? Because you are getting way, way, way too cockney <laughs> and too, like, you know, <laughs> English street urchin with your introductions. They're like, How Fares Your Grace? You know, soon you're going to start, you know, begging on the street and, and smearing your face with coal dust before we do it, and I'm not having it. <laughs> this is an intervention, and it's got to stop. I'll be French next time. <laughs> <laughs>